On the Empire Podcast this week are Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway talking to me. Well, I'm the only one here. They pop by to talk the intern, plus all the usual news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that got an audience with the Pope. He told us he prefers our earlier, funnier pods. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, as ever, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, a lady who is such a geek queen that she recently went on holiday to Stephen King country in Maine and brought us home a nice case of Captain Trips. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Hey, you're welcome, Chris. It's all true. <laughs> it's all true. I didn't actually go to Bangor this time. I did last time. Welcome all. If you listen to the Empire Podcast for the first time, welcome, especially if you've stumbled in thinking that this is the podcast dedicated to the hit Fox US TV show, Empire. It is. So Let stick it go, with, Stick with it. Stick with it. No, there's a great chance to boost our numbership. Oh, I see. Good. Our numbership? Yes. What do we have to talk about? With use of the word numbership, we'll, we'll be we'll be number four in iTunes before the week is out. Next up, you've just heard him is a man who is such an art house guru that when he went on holiday recently, he spent two weeks in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit rude. Oh, I've got to say something at this point. <laughs> it's filled the Yay, same everyone. <laughs> just let that joke slowly wither and die. <laughs> and then we introduce you. Uh, yes. How are you? Consumer review on Art House Trip Advisor. Very good. <laughs> very well indeed. Thank you. You just give much. everything four stars, don't you? I like to. If I can, I want to apologise to everyone listening for, <laughs> for my incessant name dropping of the fact that I went to Comic Con. This was about six months ago. It's not that interesting, and I'm really sorry. I don't know why. I keep volunteering it like it's something interesting for people. It's not. Oh, I had a really good time though. Has someone? Hooray! This seems, no, that but seems... I did it again in an interview that's yet to be aired, and I may re- forget to apologise for that one. So I want to do it more generally. I thought that seemed a little bit apropos of nothing. No, it's just, specifically maybe... about that. I wasn't at Comic Con <laughs> this year, Helen, and neither were you. And it was a very sad time. I've had it in very good authority, and this is an actual quote that it was the shittest one yet because <laughs> you and I weren't there well our presence does enliven any party Chris as we sit in the corner and tweet. absolutely <laughs> it ain't a comic con party unless I'm there staring at people <laughs> here's a question you've been sending your questions in all week here's one on twitter from at AA film fan double A film fan now, does that mean you're a fan of films that have batteries in them, so you wouldn't like batteries not included? Or do you mean that you're such a film fan that you are a double A, like more than A? Uh-huh. I think we're getting sidelined. I'm just intrigued by the etymology of this person's uh, Twitter name. Anyway, oh, the question what was is, the question? given the revelation of another Empire podcast, which are the best or most unusual films with the same name? You see, AA film fan, he yeah. or she. Sure. Knows about the other Empire podcast. Mm. You, do you think you've got the right answer? I, I have so the right answer. So you should go last. I ha- okay, lead on. You okay. go first. <laughs> you just told me to go last. That's true. But I hadn't thought through the ramifications <laughs> of me having to... There's a couple There's a couple that I should mention. Okay. Did you know that there's two films called The Aviator? What's interesting and more confusing still is that one of them's directed by George Miller, who's not the George Miller. It's the other George Miller. What? Yeah. Oh, wow, we've fallen down a really strange rabbit hole. This is so weird. There's The Aviator Aviator, which everyone sure. will be familiar with. Right. Sure. Scorsese. And then there's The Aviator, where Christopher Reeve plays a 1920s male pilot who crashes, and this is the official synopsis, on a mountain full of hungry wolves. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, I that's... mean, bad for him, but, you know, it sounds... He really needed to go over that mountain and land on the next door mountain, yeah. which was full of wolves that had literally just eaten. Yeah, exactly. That, that would have been awesome. a safer bet. That would have been fine. But he didn't. And it actually sounds like quite a good premise. Mm. Like an early version of that Liam Neeson film that I forgot the, the name grey. of. The Grey. Thank you. So there's one. There's two bad boys. There was multiple bad boys, obviously, and there's going to be another one. <laughs> but there's two different do? sorts of bad boys. And one has Sean Penn in a gritty social realist drama. So that's something you shouldn't get mixed up on Netflix. No. Definitely not. I imagine. You shouldn't. As opposed to the gritty socialist realist drama of Michael Bay. Michael Bay's bad boys, yeah. exactly. I'll throw one in. Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. <laughs> uh, 
It'd be amazing if like there yeah. was another The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the eighth dimension. <laughs> uh, across the eighth dimension, sorry. Oops. Uh oh. Uh oh. Crash. Yes. As most of my jokes do on the podcast. Uh-huh. There's the David Cronenberg one. Yes. Mm-hmm. With all the randy, rumpy, pumpy. Sexy bits. Sexy bits, mm-hmm. you know, and people sticking things in, into places where things are not normally stuck. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. <laughs> don't oh, no, tell don't. Us more. don't. Please tell us more. don't. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the Paul Haggis crash, which won Best Picture at the Oscars. <laughs> A few years ago, and solved racism. It did, so you know, noticeably. It, it so. ended racism. It did, and that I think came out almost the same year as Kicking and Screaming, which began racism again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that's not funny. Why is Kicking and Screaming relevant, Phil? Well, because there's two films called Kicking and Screaming. I did not know. One that. of them has Will Ferrell, <laughs> and one of them is made by Noah Baumbach. And Noah Baumbach does not like the one that has Will Ferrell because people get them mixed up, ah. and he wants everyone to know that he did not make a Will Ferrell comedy. <laughs> well, consider the record straightened on that mm-hmm. one. Can I give the right answer now? Oh yeah. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang oh, on. Oh, fine. Hang on, hang on. There are some more wrong answers as well, like is notorious. It... That's true. Notorious. No, no, notorious? Yeah. No, the Gira- no, Notorious. Okay. There's the Hitchcock one, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then there's the one about Notorious B.I.G. Yes. Which is a loose remake. Hell's Bells. All right, there's loads. Go the for Illusionist. It. No. The correct answer is, of course, Spellbound. 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 That is the correct answer. That is the correct answer. So there's the Alfred Hitchcock Spellbound with an assist from Salvador Dali which uh-huh. is pretty awesome. And then there is the documentary Spellbound, uh-huh. which last I checked is on Netflix again, uh-huh. uh, which is wonderful. And it's the story of a bunch of kids entering a spelling bee, and you may not think that's awesome, but trust me, it's really awesome. You're saying the correct answer is S-P-E-L-L-B-O-U-N-D. <laughs> spellbound. Ding! I nearly screwed no. up. had to think about that. I nearly <laughs> screwed that up. Listeners, you can't see this, but Chris's eyes did the whole, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I did do the, uh, I'm pretty good at spelling, the same way I, I'm pretty good at moving. Movie dates. <laughs> Four weddings and a funeral. That 1981 classic. Oh. <laughs> what was I thinking? There's tons. Of, I'm not sure that's the right answer. It's the right answer. It's a very good answer. It's the right answer. But is it Running Scared? No, it's better than that. Is there a film that's better than Running Scared? I mean both Running Scareds. I'm talking about the Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines action comedy from the 1980s. Or the Paul Walker, very dark Paul Walker thriller directed by Wayne Kramer. Have you ever seen that? With Fear of Farmiga. Oh, I, yeah, I won't give I too much yeah. away, but it, you know, it's it's very bloody brutal thriller. That's pretty good. Mm. Those okay. are two good films. What else? I've got one. Oh. That's a good one. Broken bloody Arrow. Man. There's a Jimmy Stewart Western, which is pretty good. And, and of course, <laughs> The Majesty of John Woo's Broken Arrow as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Majesty. There's, there's a certain overlap between crazy big Hollywood films and obscure indie dramas. There's an Outlander and an Outlanders, the latter being the indie film. There's Tales from the Golden Age and Elizabeth the Golden Age, which a casual fan might slightly and Elizabeth Town and Elizabeth Town there are so many actually this is insane because someone helpfully on the IMDb has made a list of films that share the same name and it is extraordinary one of the weirdest ones is actually The Thing so in 1982 there was a movie called The Thing about some people in an Antarctic research station encountering an alien that could change shapes. And then a couple of years ago, there was a film called The Thing, which was mm-hmm. about a group of scientists at an Antarctic research station who encountered an alien that could change shape. That is a strange and crazy happenstance. What is going on there? But actually, genuinely, there are, there are many. At The Patriot, the Mel Gibson movie, and then the Steven Seagal movie, which that's a double bill, if ever there were one. <laughs> there are two films called Wanted. There are two films called Taken. I think there's another Steven Seagal double up, isn't there? there probably if you look is. carefully down that list. There is a Vivian Lee movie called The Deep Blue Sea, and then there's also 
deep blue sea. You don't want to get those mixed up. No, you Wait don't. Wait a second. Wasn't there the deep blue a Terrence sea. Davis movie? Yes. yes, I think that was a remake of the Vivian Lee. Actually, of course it was. Of, it. of course it was. And basically, two out of three of those movies have no giant sharks, like at all. No. So you've got to be wary. And we watched them pretty carefully. I know. I was two hours at the Terrence Davis movie before I had to insert my own shark. It's only an hour Is and forty minutes long. Which, I don't know what you were doing for the final twenty minutes, but. <laughs> 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 just refusing to leave the sofa. It all the kicks off. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to leave the cinema until they put a shark in the movie. <laughs> Two films called The Island. One's a dreadful Michael Caine movie. Oh my God, yeah, I remember that one. It's terrible. And then one's a terrible Michael Bay film. There's Two Fairy Games. One starring a sweaty Billy Baldwin and Cindy Crawford in her only major starring role. And then there's the Naomi Watts, Sean Penn oh, political yeah. thriller from a few years ago. Mm. There's tons. The Box. There's a couple of films called The Box. Fire Down Below. Steven Seagal, again. Is that when he plays the Doctor? The doctor who's he's a virologist on the case of a, <laughs> a madman who's unleashed a terrible epidemic starting virus. Obviously, you're going to cast Seagal in the role of a man who spent most of his life at medical school instead of, say, the gym or <laughs> a seedy it's, nightclub. Uh, I think it's probably the same university that had the school of physics that Denise Richardson went to before <laughs> Bond, actually. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. There's tons. Absolute tons. Black Sheep, the uh, New Zealand horror film, and then the equally terrifying Chris Farley, David Spade comedy. That's a good question. Lots of good answers. Is Helen right, though? Is Spellbound the right answer? Yes. Or is it another answer? If you have any thoughts on this, do send in your thoughts and indeed your questions to us. We're on Twitter at Empire Magazine is our handle, as the truckers said. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Last week we discussed great action scenes in the rain and a couple of people uh, tweeted me in the week and went, how could you leave out the prison riot sequence in The Raid 2? And that's a very good question and the answer is I forgot, even though we were talking about muddy rain and stuff. That's a great good one, sequence. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was at a screening of The Raid 2 about a month ago with Gareth Evans. So Gareth Evans said that that scene took ages to film. At certain points, the extras that they got just stopped going to the toilet to use the facilities and would just relieve themselves anywhere and everywhere and so it wasn't the most hygienic condition in which to film anyway on that bombshell Phil looks very confused I'm I think so he means confused. that they peed they peed and who are we talking about the Ray 2 oh yes of course pay, pay attention Phil you were name dropping and I zoned out I don't name drop that often no. as I was saying the other day to my good friend Elton John <laughs> <laughs> right so we have some movie news yeah, let's. <laughs> is it a vintage week for movie news? What's happened? I feel like I'm reaching the end of something important because Steve Jobs is coming out soon. It's at the London <laughs> Film Festival and there's no more news. About Steve Jobs? About Steve Jobs. Except I found an interesting fact about Steve Jobs. Can okay. I share it? Of course you can. Danny Boyle wanted to call the film The King of France. And the interesting fact? What a shock. <laughs> what? It's an interesting fact. That is an interesting yeah. fact. We'll have to find why out why. He... Oh. In my feature. Oh, hang on a second. Wait a minute. What? You can't start trailing your own features (laughs) in issues that haven't come out yet. This is ridiculous. So, what's what's happening? Pacific Rim has been officially hoisted out of the studio and into the car park. At the moment, it's in a state of being indefinitely delayed. And I think every week we come to the podcast with a different story on this. Like, it's off, it's on, it's off, it's on. But it looks very much like it's off for Guillermo at the moment. If only we had someone who had just spoken to Yeah, I was going to say, who could that be? Do you have any hot insight on what, what the situation is? He said at this? the moment he's going to direct a smaller film, which he's had kind of ready to go just in case something fell through. But he still hopes to make Pac Rim 2, but it's a bit up in the air. Ooh. But definitely not going to be coming out in August 
the 4th 2017. It, it seems unlikely. As previously announced. Speaking of delays, there's news this week of Rings, which is the latest in the Ring saga. I mean, it's more of a tree. It's not like one line. It's been, it's sort of branched off. You know, there's the original Japanese films. There's been the American films. Is that deliberate? What? Tree rings. Yeah. This is apparently somewhere between a threequel and a reboot. It takes place 13 years after the first of the American remake series, and it's part of that continuity. Did you say but we don't know A threequel. Oh. It's shot in the spring, it's in post-production, and it was slated for November, but it's now been pulled back to next year, so we won't say it quite as soon as we thought. Whether that's because they need a bit more time to get the effects or the story right, or whether it's just because they fancy their chances of a, a bigger number or next year we don't know yet all it says at the moment is next year but we've got to be looking at probably january february tend to be big horror months and i don't think it's going mm. to be pushed back much further than that i'm sure we're all inconsolable i mean i think we're just going to have to learn to deal with it and wonder how in the heck a videotape is going to pose any real threat in the modern world because when's the last time anyone watched one anywhere apologies viva vhs i know you're keeping the faith you could strangle someone with a vhs but on the other hand you could also kill someone with a CD or a DVD, as, of course, happens-ish in Dark Angel. Good fact. Like I've got a, a Phil Lord and Chris Miller update on what yeah. they're doing, which is everything at the moment. <laughs> and everything is awesome. And everything is, as you say, awesome. Uh, the latest thing they're doing is they're magicking a podcast into a television show. At last! <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I think has been attempted to before by Merchant and Gervais, hasn't it? They're taking their own podcast and make it into an animation. But this is the serial. Of course, the whole world listens to the US podcast serial. No, no, it's, no, a, no it's a bit no. of a come down. I, mean, I have listened to serial, of course. but You mean it's not us? But it's not us. Is, not, that's what you're telling us. No, no, they're not turning the Empire podcast into it. They're not turning the Empire podcast into a TV show. No. Right, okay. That's I, fine. That's I fine. probably I'm, shouldn't have ordered that. I didn't realise this story was going to become such a downer so quickly. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I look forward to their one-star <laughs> Han Solo movie. Lucky to get that, quite frankly. We made them, oh, we can break rump. them. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a sort of televisual representation, I guess, of the same similar format. The serial's made a name for itself as a repository of incredibly, I was going to use the word expensive, it is expensive, hard-hitting, detailed, well-researched journalism. Mm. So this will be something similar, which is not exactly what Lord and Miller are renowned so, for. on TV, this is. Mm. So you still get to, I guess, do everything, cover all the, much of the same ground. Is it going to be the very first season that they're kind of converting into a TV show, do we know? Or is it just going to be no, in general... Serial will now be TV as well. It as seems podcasts. to be different. Interesting. Different cases, perhaps. So more in the in the vein, really, of the Jinx, maybe. I mean, the Jinx is obviously more of a mini series. I think this is going to be more episodic. Uh, okay. But I think at this point, it's they haven't quite shown their cards on how they're going to do it. It could be the catfish style approach, I suppose, episodically looking at different cases, or maybe spun over longer arcs. The quote is: "They're going to take an unexpected approach to telling stories, and that's what's so appealing to us at Serial." And that's from producer Julie Snyder, who will be gratified to see the first episode arrive in pure Lego form, <laughs> which will be unexpected. They experiment and they don't mimic formula. So I guess this is unusual terrain for them because they've been renowned for obviously comic stuff up to this point. But we continue to trust in Lord and Miller. So we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah, indeed. Serial season two is still up in the air this week. Some people thought that they had unearthed what it was going to be about, but the producer and host, Sarah Koenig, has said, maybe not, but they're working on it. So Interesting. It's interesting they have seasons for a podcast. I guess they're more part of the band. Serialised. Hmm. I think we need to kill people off in this podcast. Well, we killed Ali off. We did kill Ali off. 
<laughs> also in news, Reese Witherspoon has announced another productorial job. Is that a word? Producerial mm. role? She is going to be adapting Ruth Ware's mystery novel In a Dark, Dark Wood, uh, mm. which has been a bit of a bestseller already. The book is about a reclusive crime writer called Leonora. Uh, she usually just spends all her time at home working, but she does go out for a hen night, a friend's hen night, which turns out to be at this sort of glass heavy house in the middle of, you won't believe it, <laughs> some dark, dark wood. Then she wakes up 48 hours later, injured but alive in a hospital bed. There's a very big mystery around her and the problem is that now she's caught in the middle of it. So it's an interesting one. I mean, Reese Witherspoon obviously produced Gone Girl and Wild last year. She's been really looking out for great projects, preferably with great female roles, which there aren't enough of in Hollywood. The next step will be to get this made. So she'll be trying to get a writer in to adapt the script. She doesn't know whether she'll star in it or just be a producer. And she also has on the go supernatural thriller Cold, Ashley's War, All Is Not Forgotten, Pale Blue Dot, which is what at one point they were going to call men, women and children. Interesting. And a live action Tinkerbell movie called Tink. Quite a busy lady there. But this is an intriguing one and I'm looking forward to seeing it. This isn't really news, but... Did I spot that they've rebooted Danger Mouse? They have, yes. Looks good. Is that possible? I mean, anything is possible in an infinite universe. Okay, great. Thanks. This week, some other news as well. So Matthew Fawn, his next project, I'm pretty sure, will be the Kingsman sequel. But just in case, he has signed on to direct an adaptation of the novel I Am Pilgrim. It's a spy thriller. Clearly, he hasn't scratched the old spy movie itch just yet. Because he was attached to a whole bunch of stuff previously, including A Man from Uncle before Guy Ritchie got his dabs all over it as well. So, intriguing. Interesting. Very intriguing indeed. It's about a man who doesn't exist. Pilgrim is his codename. And he's called out of retirement to do something. But if he doesn't exist, how does he get called out of retirement? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's Schrodinger's secret agent. He's simultaneously alive and not alive. Or dead. Fascinating. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't it just? <laughs> so that's exciting. And in sad news this week, we lost a couple of notable figures. John Guillermin, the British director who was behind the likes of The Towering Inferno, Death in the Nile. King Kong, the 76, Jessica Lang, Jeff Bridges, Man in a Suit version, passed away this week. He was 89 as a heck of an innings. And he left behind a lot of very, very solid, very disparate work. He's the man who also directed Shaft in Africa which is a very interesting film. And also this week, Catherine Coulson passed away, the log lady, of course, famously from Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. And she was involved with David Lynch all the way through his career, pretty much. Started off with him in a razor head. Yeah, she'll be a big loss, especially since obviously Twin Peaks is coming back next year. It won't feel the same without the log lady somehow. Sad news. Sad news. She was 71 when she passed away last week. So John Guillermo and Catherine Coulson, rest in peace. Time now to have this week's guests on the show, or should I say, of course, this week's interns, because they're in a film called The Intern. Anyway, Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway are two fast-rising young actors who this week star in Nancy Mayer's The Intern, about an ageing man who becomes an intern, hence the name, for the CEO of a New York fashion startup. The Geo came to London this week, and I popped along to speak to them. Uh, Here's an interesting film fact. Between us, between myself, Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, we've won three Oscars. (laughs) <laughs> wow I know It's incredible It's pretty amazing Pretty illustrious Enjoy uh, Delighted to be joined On the Emperor Podcast By Robert De Niro And Anne Hathaway Stars of The Intern How are you both? I'm doing great Thanks Good Thank you. Good, good, good Do you jet lagged at all? Do you get jet lagged? Normally yeah. I get really jet lagged But uh, I've been fine this time I took a different flight out Maybe that's the... Sorry I just put myself to sleep That was so boring <laughs> <laughs> So you don't have like a remedy You don't have a jet lag Way of beating it For example 
You know, it's really frustrating. I've had to stop drinking on press tours because there's no recovery time. And I hate to say it, but I feel like not drinking has made me feel less jet lagged because I used to think drinking was the cure. <laughs> okay. But now it's the crime. It's the disease. Look, I, yeah. I don't have enough experience <laughs> not drinking, so uh, I can't tell you, but I'm saying this time I haven't been and I feel better. So that okay. might be it. Okay. And uh, Robert, over the years, have you got a, a jet lag cure, a, a junket, a way to get through junkets? No, only to start them later, you know, <laughs> from New York, especially L.A., just allow that time start in the middle of the day you're you're right about that this one started at a little later on in the day that's been nice that's not too bad what this movie really nails for me it nails a lot of things but it nailed for me not the terror of a first day at work but the rigors of a first day at work and as actors you must go through that two three times a year What's that experience like for you, going in first time, not knowing anyone? I mean, you try to do stuff that's a little easier in the beginning for the character that's more walking or easy stuff that's even reactive, but not uh, get into the heavier stuff, if you will. Right, well, that's one thing. And so the first day is made hopefully more easy. And I think the the nice thing about working on a film is that it's everybody's first day. You're not necessarily walking into a community of people feeling like the odd one out. I've just learned to to start off quiet, to just sort of let things organically happen the way they do and then usually by the end of the second week you found the rhythm, you're set in the character, you sort of figured out who everybody is and, yeah. and things usually take off by there. Have you ever got to a point on a film where you're, say, two weeks in and you want to go back and reshoot everything you did on the first day because you haven't quite got the rhythm of the character? Oh, like every time. I think every film that comes <laughs> up. I know what I'm doing a little bit now. <laughs> At least I fooled myself into thinking I know what I'm doing. Can we, can we go back and reshoot? No, it's expensive. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll do with what we have. Uh, but Bob, is that something that comes up for you? I mean, you say you like to do easy stuff first, but I imagine schedules have thrown up difficult things on the first day. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you deal with it. It's, it's, it's okay. I mean, sometimes, you, a lot of times I'm not starting a movie. I'm jumping in on it for three weeks or for whatever, and it's already started, so you get it. You have to be ready to get into that rhythm of what how they're working. So that's something I really just make sure that I am ready to do that. First day on The Intern. Can you remember what that was for, for you both? Some <laughs> of the stuff we filmed first, I think, was the stuff in the car. And actually, Nancy did go back at the end and reshoot some of that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think my note was, be less Muppety. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, um, that was just, that. she said something very, very nice and professional, and I, I interpreted it as, be, act less like a Muppet. <laughs> Which means you're waving your arms around and going, yay! K- kind but, of. Quite a bit. Yeah. Kind of. I did get one, something that I thought was funny, and Nancy came, she's like, oh, you're not really going to do that every time, right? <laughs> I said, well, now I'm not. <laughs> okay, intriguing. I read that you had to audition for this. Yeah, Nancy hates it when I talk about this. She's like, just say that I gave you the part. And I said, no, you didn't give me the part. I had to audition for it and sit by the phone like actors do. This was my third time auditioning for Nancy Myers. Uh I auditioned for What Women Want, Uh and I auditioned for The Holiday, and then I auditioned for The Intern, and and I got it. Third time lucky. Third time's a charm. You, You must have felt going into this one, I've got a chance. I might get this one. Well, because the the first two times I got invited into the part of the process where she was seeing a lot of people, this time it was, can you come in? Can you do this reading? Okay, the reading was promising. Can you come in? Can we work on these scenes for a while? But so it was, so I knew that it, so and in a way I knew it was mine to lose, which sometimes is, is a little bit more difficult. Oh, okay. Interesting. Bob, I can imagine you have not auditioned for a film in quite some time. No, but I what I've done is I've asked people to have a reading of a script that's not without even a director sometimes just to see if we want or we bring invite a director 
I don't know if no, like two, probably just one, where just to get a bunch of actors to get, read the script and see if it's doable. And even if they don't want, even if, if I'm not going to do it, or they're not so sure about me in it, believe it or not, I still would take the chance to do it just to get it up there, okay. to lift it off the page a little bit. You have done that recently? Yeah, about a year or two ago, something I forget. I do it a lot. Traditional auditioning. Yeah. You don't miss that, I'm guessing. No, no I don't miss it. Because I've... <laughs> Believe me, I've auditioned for things over and like the way Anne's done it, I'm sure at times it's over and over and over and over again. Getting stuff prepped and then putting yourself into that room and it must you must feel quite naked emotionally, everything, spiritual, everything. And then you don't get it. <laughs> then you don't get it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's funny and I usually can tell in the room if I've gotten it or not. Like it's a feeling of, okay, I just shut that door behind me, no one else is budging it open. But I can usually feel if, if I've left it open a crack or <laughs> in some cases very wide open. It's usually a vibe you can get. But do you miss it? I mean, no, no, you did it for the intern, but no, I... no, no. It's 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 much nicer to be told you're it. That no, no need to audition. We trust you. But I do understand why it's important for certain directors, and I do put myself through it. And it's nice when you get it. It doesn't feel great when you don't. But that yeah. is part of what you sign up for when you're an actor, right? Absolutely. Uh, so your first day on the intern, you don't quite remember. But do you remember when you first met? Is this because you didn't meet on this film? You met. I imagine just you met on award circuits and running around. Yeah, we met at uh, well, I the first time, but I know the Kennedy Center. Yeah, and we'd said hello before that, but that was the first yeah. time we like met. Met. Uh, we were giving Meryl Streep an award, and Bob was doing a, a speech for her, and I sang a song for her. Just another typical Tuesday. <laughs> yes, in front of Meryl and the president. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing. What did you sing? Well, Meryl did a film with Jack Nicholson, which name is escaping me right now, but in it she sings a song called He's My Pal. We reworked the lyrics so that it was She's My Pal, and it was about Meryl. Amazing. Bob, do you remember that song? Well, I remember when she yeah, sang when it. Yeah, when she sang it. Yeah, when yeah, I sang it. Yeah, no, she was great. Amazing. So did you know, that? Yeah. did you speak then, that, you know, one day, let's work together, let's do something? No, that, oh, we, we didn't have, wouldn't it time. be lucky for you if we did? It would be amazing. Bob, remember when we met five years ago and said, let's work together. Let's work and together. here we are speaking with Empire because we have. <laughs> let's work together one day, I don't know, on a Nancy Mayer's film, perhaps <laughs> something about an intern, who knows? On set, a lot of people have asked me, you know, was it difficult like acting like you were Bob's boss and I was like I, I'm so embarrassed to say no <laughs> like it didn't occur to me I just was kind of there to play the scene and I was like no 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 Jules Austin is everybody's boss it's fine <laughs> um, but I'm going to ask you a question I'm sure you've been asked quite a lot was it initially intimidating working opposite one of the greatest actors of all time I have been asked that question I'm sure you have. a lot and I'm sorry about that Bob because <laughs> uh, <laughs> he has had to listen to my answer every time it was intimidating as you can imagine yeah I, I think because I was so very intimidated working with Meryl I never really got over it when we were working together I felt like I missed so much of that experience because I was just so nervous and afraid and kind of panicky so on this time I didn't want to do that so I knew going into it I would be nervous I knew that I would you know kind of my instinct would be to pull the ripcord press the panic button all those things but I didn't do that I just stayed very very calm and quiet and Bob and I focused on the work and then over time I don't know what happened we just things started uh, becoming warmer and we became more comfortable with each other and I never lost sight of the fact that I respected him but it became less like I respect you Bob Zanier because of the work that you've done that I've been a fan of for so many years and it was wow you are one of the best actors I've ever gotten to work with and I respect you so much because of who you are the way you treat the material the way you've been generous and treated me that how respectful you are with the crew so it became more personal you know Bob that can't be a hardship listening to that answer that must no, be no, 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 no. she's being very nice but in a way I mean obviously you've got this incredible back catalogue and you know people revere you are you aware in a way of the effect you have 
on other actors? And do you, how do you put them at ease when, when they first work with you? You know, I mean, it just it all goes away soon enough. The work takes over eventually. Yeah, you have to focus on what you're doing. And so that all uh, disappears, really. The tagline of the film is experience never gets old. And there's a lovely anti-ageism and anti-sexism thread that runs all the way through the film as well. Is this something that the both of you are experiencing now in Hollywood? Anna, you spoke recently about being beaten to roles by 24-year-olds. The point that I was trying to make was not that, woe is me, I'm a victim, look at me losing roles to younger actresses. I wasn't trying to say that, and I don't think about it sure. like that. At least I don't yet. What I was saying was there are so few roles available, mm. great roles available to women. Here I am in my 30s looking at roles that are written for women in their 30s, and I'm mm. competing with 24-year-olds or girls in their 20s. And my point was that I used to be one of those 24-year-olds. So I don't think the issue is that 24-year-olds are getting great parts. I think that the issue is that, that there's not enough to go around, that we're all competing for the slim pickings, you know? And, I, and I'm not trying to sound bitter about this. I actually do have statistics on my side. If you look at, I think, like all the films that were released last year, only 30% of the speaking roles went to women. Absolutely. Is he getting better? from your perspective? The conversation about it is is really exciting. I think the fact that we're having this discussion right now, I think that there's a consciousness developing around it. I think people are unhappy that in an industry where we sort of pride ourselves on telling stories about equality, we don't see it reflected in our actual practice. I think we're embarrassed about that and we want that to change. I know that in meetings that I have now that I'm having because I've started producing, it thrills me when we're discussing directors and somebody, usually a guy, will go, hey, where are the females on this list? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so I do see things changing. I don't, I'm not, you know, expecting everything's going to change overnight. I think it's going to be a slow build, but but I can't really see us going backwards. At least I, I, I really, really hope we don't. I was in a room recently where that exact conversation took place. <laughs> so yeah. where, the f- where, where are the females in this list? Is it, you know, it happens. Uh, where was that room? Because it occurred to me that... It was, it was here in London. But what was the list that you're discussing? It was a list of great current directors. Fabulous. Yeah. So, and did you feel excited by that? How yeah, did you feel? How, I, I'm actually curious. How did you feel? I may have been the one who said it. <laughs> to, to you were? Yeah, it's kind of a bugbear of mine. Oh, but, bless yeah, you. But, oh, uh, that's, you're so wonderful. Oh, well, thank you very much indeed. What yeah. was that? Discussing great directors. If you put a list together, yeah. where the women who work in these days were the people of color, that's kind of something that a big bugbear of mine. There's a lot, let's just say there's a lot of room for improvement. It and, it se- and it seems like there are people who really want to see a change. Bob, from your perspective, I mean, you know, as you're getting older, do you, do you sense, not that the great parts are out there, but are they, I guess, a little bit more thin on the ground than they used to be? or is it? Well, yeah, that, but that's, I mean, in my case, that there are things that are uh, written for younger people, leading men type thing. I mean, in fact, this movie, I, have, uh, I haven't done a film where I'm like the lead, the male lead, for a while. Uh, where it's from the beginning to the end, practically. Because I, I realized when we were shooting, and this is, you know, this is what I used to do a lot, and for these long stretches of shooting. And I will do a few other movies with, with good chunks of time in them, but, you know. Yeah. So I can't, what, what I can say, I gotta play somebody who's 35 years younger than me. True, sure. To get cast in that role. Maybe with technology, they start making CGI and all that. You haven't done one of those movies yet, have you? With the, I have a little. Yeah. yeah, I have a little and some. Yeah, and we're. I'm working a movie. The working title, I think, is The Irishman with Marty Scorsese mm. and that. We're because there are sections, earlier uh, periods in the film where so we're experimenting with how I can look. You know, like Benjamin Buttons. Yeah. And yeah. That'd be fantastic. That'd be uh, that'd be really exciting. To open yeah, up not, me, not only yeah. me, but the other actors too. That's an amazing cast. That's going next year, isn't it? 
Yes. We haven't set the time, but we're, we're getting there. Okay. I'll be, Can I be, come visit you on set for that <laughs> one, please? <laughs> I imagine that's an open invitation. You'll be fine. Just just turn up. You can uh, come to Princess Diaries 3. I know you want to. <laughs> is that the hot scoop? Is it happening? Because, oh, no, no. I was just no, saying no, that as, as an example people. of something that Bob's never going to want to do. <laughs> By the way, I would yeah. nothing would make me happier than to make a third one and kind of see where that story's going. There's nothing real to speak of yet. Okay, there you go. It's... 20 years now, Bob. I just want to deviate slightly from Heat. Yeah. And I know you did something recently. You were in Toronto uh, at a screening of that film. Is that, is that right? No, there was... Oh, Michael Mann was there. Michael Mann was there. Michael was there. there. Yeah. I, I, he asked me to go. I couldn't. I was shooting in, okay. in New York. Yeah, they had a 20-year uh, anniversary thing. How do you feel now when you look back in that movie in particular? Well, you know, 20 years. I mean, I can account for all the time that passes, but once <laughs> you get there to, to where I am now, it's like, what happened? It's an astonishing movie, and I worked out not to make I, it. I'm talking about time, you know, moving on in life. Absolutely. Do you revisit your own work? You don't go back and look at not, Heat? Not it's really. Not. I mean, sometimes I catch it on television by chance or something. Yeah. I just watched Heat again this summer. It's such a good movie. Crazy. It's a true classic, and uh, not to make anyone feel old in this room, but I think you were 12 when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, do you remember the first time you saw this man on the big screen? I think it was probably The Godfather. I'm sure I saw you in things before then, but that was the first time that I was just like, oh, that's Robert De Niro. I was, I think I just started high school. I was kind of getting, really starting to get into film. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, what, everybody loves The Godfather. Why does everybody love The Godfather? Mm-hmm. And this was back, when we had a video rental store just I lived just around the corner from one it was great it was like a nice little walk so I walked over one day after school rented The Godfather watched it felt like and I know this sounds hyperbolic felt like I'd just been reborn I was like what did I just see and I ran to the video store before it closed and rented parts two and three and I just stayed up all night watching them in sequence wow that's quite a night it was great. That's nine hours. No friends to do it with, <laughs> but... <laughs> you didn't find anyone around? Come on, we're having a Godfather trilogy. Not... Honestly, I was so into it. I kind of wanted it to be to be my own experience. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Bob, do you watch movie marathons? Is that something that, that no, you do? No, no, I, I don't. Uh, I, I'd like to. I mean, there's so many things that I haven't seen that I wish I could. But as you get older, in my case, it's it's about time. So taking nine hours out to watch the Godfather yeah, trilogy a, is not... That is some, that is a very, I feel like, a very teenage thing to do. It's it's an amazing thing like to do. When was the last time you had nine hours to just sit and watch something straight through? Almost every weekend. <laughs> if I'm completely honest. By the way, as I was saying, I was like, idiot, Netflix, you do this too. That's how you watch Scandal. Binge, are oh, you watching Scandal? I have fallen behind, but okay. there were a couple seasons there where you just can't, you're just like, all right, let's watch. I mean, that's, it's like House of Cards, you know, you're just like, mm-hmm. okay, I really need to go to bed right now, but I'm going to watch another one. Last one, I promise. <laughs> I, I imagine you're both members of the Academy as well, so you, you must get those screeners as well coming mm-hmm. through. Is that a great way of catching up <laughs> with the movies? Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. But yeah. some, like uh, two years ago, I left my voting to the very last minute. And so I had to speed watch a bunch of movies, meaning that I just had to watch a bunch <laughs> in a very short amount of time. It didn't and forward. so I, so the last day, I think you could vote by like 5 p.m. on, on a Tuesday. So I woke up at 8 a.m. Tuesday morning to watch the Dallas Buyers Club, which was pretty heavy. And yeah. I was like, wow, which would have been enough for, for honestly for like a week. But then I had to eat lunch and watch 12 Years a Slave. I was just like, this is a heavy year, man. This is so intense. <laughs> 
you want to space those things out. If you're at home wondering, what can I movie marathon tonight? Do not watch Dallas Buyers Club and then watch 12 Years a Slave. Both excellent movies in their own respect featuring unbelievable <laughs> performances not to be watched on the same day. Absolutely. If you have to watch them, drop something nice and light and fun like The like Intern. The Just intern. drop it in and right in the middle. <laughs> And everything will be fine. What's next for you guys? Well, I'm doing The Wizard of Lies based on a Diana Enriquez book about Bernard Madoff with Barry Levinson directing it. So that, I'm in the middle of it. That's going to be fantastic. And I'm working with a really exciting Spanish director called Nacho Vigalando on a film called Colossal. You know Nacho? I've never met him, but I know of him. I know yeah. his uh, reputation precedes him. He's quite a character. He has written the weirdest most awesome monster movie uh-huh. and we're going to go to Vancouver and make it for a dime it's going to be good <laughs> <laughs> amazing I have to ask while you're here about Midnight Run 2 is something that I've been hoping for for a few years now uh, I've been uh, wanting to do that in fact that's an example of having a big reading at Universal with the, the, some of the executives and a, a lot of uh, actors and people uh, we haven't uh, gotten it off the ground I've read some good material that we have we're still working on it that they have to get a, a young leading actor to balance off of me but they, okay. I can't get it made they do all kinds of things to say this and that at the end of the day I thought the original concept was terrific of Midnight Run 2 the writer and I'm just blanking on his name he's a terrific guy the original he wrote it and, and George I, Gallo was that no not, no? not George George, yeah. uh, George did a terrific job obviously yeah. but this was another young writer who loved the movie so much I said well then you know write a script and he did and then we had another version of it and this that went back it was just a development hell is what it was Bob jeez Louise fine I'll do it <laughs> no I want to do it they're dragging no I'll play the young actor yeah. role yeah I'm gonna stretch my, my I'll stretch that. myself for this one <laughs> So what, what's the nut you can't crack with that one? Is there a, the, a story the, issue? The, or? Yeah, I mean, the, the, is to get another actor who's funny to do the young actor with a name so mm-hmm. that they can justify spending the money on it. That's the bottom line. Okay. And but... as so many people have asked me about the movie to do it, uh, <laughs> if you want to do it again, young people, you know, when they saw it, when they were... Can we, like, dreamcast this right now? Like, what about Jonah Hill? I, we had a reading with Jonah Hill. Jonah didn't want to do it. He felt really? it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Boo, Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> Have a word with him if you see him next. <laughs> I, I've never worked Make, with Jonah. Never seen, I never worked with him, but okay, next time. If you do see him, run him to the street. Just twist his arm. Make it happen. <laughs> Make it happen. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Lead. Uh, hopefully we'll see you next for Midnight Run 2 and Princess Diaries <laughs> 3. <laughs> that would you. be a delight. And Hathaway. That'll be a fun double feature. <laughs> that would be a fun double feature. Put the intern in the middle, make it a triple. Why not? And Hathaway, Robert De Niro. It's been a pleasure. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. That was Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway there. And yes, I did call him Bob all the way through the interview it just felt right I had an eternal debate beforehand about what I should do because I've, I've interviewed him a few times he's always introduced to you as Bob right. and usually the way a person is introduced to you is the name you should call them all the way through the thing and the first press conference I ever did with him everyone was going Bob I went Mr. De Niro <laughs> and I was very very reverent I meant to call him Robert and then Anne Hathaway was calling him Bob and I just accidentally started calling him Bob and he didn't kill me so I carried on wow are you okay? Are you feeling all right? I am all right. Yeah. yeah. They were both in good form, actually. Good. Yeah. No walkouts. All good. Everyone's happy. Okay. Should we talk about things that Let's are in the cinema? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, it's a bumper week. It is. At the old uh, Cinematheque this week. Let's start with a movie that is already out. It came out on Wednesday. And in fact, if you want to know more about this film, there is a special podcast special with its director, Sir Ridley Scott, which is available to listen to right the hell now. It is, of course, The Martian. Hooray. In Hooray. which uh, Matt Damon opens an Evian store 
on Mars is my <laughs> understanding of football. I mean, so close, Chris. So, so, close. Close. so close. This is based on Andy Weir's brilliant book. Uh, this is the story of how an astronaut called Mark Watney is accidentally left behind when his crew makes an emergency evacuation from the surface of Mars. So far, so good, except, of course, that, you know, it will take literally years to get to him and he doesn't have that much food. He has to figure out a way. He has, of course, in the already iconic phrase to science the shit out of this and figure out a way yes quite literally and figure out a way to stay alive on the surface of mars where nothing lives that we know of and he doesn't even know that there's water there he hasn't been paying attention crazy fool so this is in the future as well this is set in the future as well so he has no excuse meanwhile his crew are bereaved and on their way back for the long journey back to earth a 10-month trip back to earth they don't know he's alive he finally manages to re-establish contact with nasa and they're basically spending the entire film trying to figure out how to get him back home. This is one of those casts where any member of the cast could play the lead and you'd think it was a pretty awesome piece of casting. Matt Damon is particularly good, obviously, because he's got that kind of everyman quality and that sort of G-shucks kind of charm that I think fits Watney really well. It's a geekier sort of character than he's maybe played before in a more sort of single-minded one, but he's great in that role. But seriously, around him, you've got, you know, Jessica Chastain, you've got Chiwetel Ejiofor, you've got mm-hmm. Donald Glover. Sean Bean. Yes, who's takes, great. Yeah, takes place in the year's most better moment. I'll say nothing else. Mm-hmm. Jeff awesome Daniels cast. is great. I mean, he is great. Everyone's a good film. Kristen Wiig is in there. Kate Mara. Sebastian um, Stan. Sebastian Stan for once, you know, not playing someone who, who life has kicked in the balls, which True. he generally does. He plays good-looking hunky astronaut, I believe, is his character name. But who else is in it? <laughs> Axel Henney, who's Axel Henney. so good. And Michael Peña, who gets the year's second most enjoyable meta moment. He does. Yeah, it's lots of lots of really good actors doing really good acting. You know what? I, I really, really like this film. I think you did too, Helen. A lot. This is Ridley Scott having fun. Yes. And I don't think that's something we've seen before. This is Ridley Scott's best film since at least Gladiator for me. At least. And have maybe even better than Gladiator. The Kingdom of Heaven Director's Cut. I have seen the Kingdom of Heaven Director's Cut. It's even better than that. Mm. Um, Holy but shit. no, it's honestly, I mean, the, I will say I am totally probably prejudiced on this. I adored the book. The Martian basically combines all of my favourite things in movies which is you know smart people doing smart things and good people trying to do the right thing in impossible circumstances and great acting and mm. potatoes and <laughs> and geekery you know i mean there's just so much that's that's lovable about this film that yeah. i am in no position to give an objective judgment but it, i just had an absolute blast and also i find myself quoting lines from it with friends for a good two or three days afterwards name one G- give me a line i, I mean uh, some of them are spoilers science the shit out of this obviously we've already had yes you don't have a friend called mars do you? <laughs> fuck you mars i mean i agree in your face neil armstrong in your face neil armstrong it's a really fun film it's a really likable film as well and uh, matt damon's at the heart of that i think yes his character has this unquenchable optimism in his outlook every time something goes catastrophically wrong he manages to dust himself off and start again and you don't often see that you don't often see a protagonist who's indomitable in the way that he is Mm. reminding me people will compare it to interstellar which i think is a film that's been discussed quite a lot on this podcast so we probably shouldn't go there again but it reminded me a little bit more of moon almost the idea that there's this guy that's kind of up against it but he goes in a different direction and whereas moon feels like a sort of like existential nightmare this feels like a sort of the triumph of the human spirit a bit more like the right stuff than interstellar ever did 
Yes, well, I think yeah. that's fair. And, and he's optimistic and he's glib because he has the right stuff, because he's the best of the best. You put any of us up there on Mars and say, <laughs> A, I couldn't sign to shit out of anything. I would be dead. and We'd all be dead, but he just handles it and he handles it really, really well. And the film in lesser hands, and in fact, this is all from the source novel as well, yeah. because he's very, very much, he gets to grips with things. And thankfully, he doesn't. he's not saddled with a family in a, weird, in a, in a way. That's a very conscious decision. So he doesn't have a wife that he's pining for or kids that he's worried about. He's just about, okay, I need to get out. And occasionally the situation overwhelms him, but Mm -hmm. very quickly. And then he's, okay, I have to deal with it. And this is how it's going to be. Okay, let's move on. And I really like that because the film, in other hands, could have descended into a sort of glum fest. I think think that's exactly what puts this apart from Interstellar. I mean, especially the people who joked about Matt Damon vis-a-vis Interstellar. The difference is that Mark Watney, unlike Mann, has a sense of humour and a sense of the absurd and a sense of determination to keep doing keep going whereas I guess I mean maybe man didn't have to have that because he had the hibernation option maybe if Watney had had a hibernation option things would have been different but it's a much more (laughs) likeable character also he's not a metaphor (laughs) (laughs) well that's also true (laughs) or his doctor (laughs) the brilliantly named Dr. Man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also <laughs> might have been a metaphor I really like this I think this is a, a lot of fun it's really well handled it's got a great <laughs> and how many times are you going to say this about a Ridley Scott movie in your life it's got a great disco soundtrack <laughs> but, <laughs> it's extraordinary though it looks fantastic everything comes together yeah. all the characters are likeable and uh, just on the disco like Drew Goddard's script I assume is mm. the one that queued up the tunes for that but he cues them up brilliantly mm. they are That's spot fun. on and he plays Bowie of course. Uh, at the moment, and you're like, but he doesn't play Life on Mars, which I think is cool. And uh, yeah, he just seems to be having fun. It's great. It's yeah. great to see. I thought if there is a weakness, perhaps the coda is a little bit on the nose after what's. It kind of spells out a lot of the things that you were just talking about in terms of his philosophy for survival. And some of the characters, because it's got such a rich cast, you kind of want to see more of them and their characters be more developed. And there is a bit where the, the crew are sort of just on the ship doing a bit of a Red Dwarf thing and you don't see all that much of them. No. It's a sort of four points of the rectangle there's four different settings for this film mm. and it's it, it sometimes in the edit maybe sidelines that one in particular in but, favor of the the earth and the martian arenas but uh, small small quibbles really. i agree but i think that's something that the book does as well the crew aren't reintroduced until quite a way in as, yeah if mm. i can recall and i think what this film does as well incredibly well is that it makes all the big scientific concepts that even in the book, because I'm a dunderhead, I had some problems understanding. It absolutely makes them completely understandable and relatable. It's a cliff notes of the book in many ways. And it, it actually excises some of the stuff. The book is one damn thing after another. Yeah. And this actually makes his ordeal less of an ordeal. And I think that kind of works, actually. Yeah, I think, and also it would be a 10-hour film otherwise. Um, it would be. So I think that's probably wise. I just adored it, but I, I you know, it's not going to change the world. It's a great adventure movie mm. rather than something, you know. Mm. Lot of fun. And again, if you want to hear that uh, Ridley Scott interview, uh, which he talks about The Martian and Alien Paradise Lost and um, a whole bunch of other stuff as well, then do check it out. Uh, right now or wait until this is over or don't do it at all it's up to you okay so four stars then for The Martian which we love and speaking of movies that we love Phil hi it's the Scottish film the Scottish film Macbeth Uh, (gasps) you said it 
Something wicked this way comes, Chris. Justin Kurzel's second film after Snowtown, which was hard-hitting, is even better. Really, a lot of the stuff that we saw in Snowtown, it's very hard-hitting, it's very visually powerful, is manifest in spades in Macbeth. It's really a terrific revival of the Shakespeare play on the big screen mm. with Michael Fassbender as the Thane of Cawdor. Uh, King Duncan's trusted lieutenant, who we see at the beginning on a medieval battlefield, effectively taking on... Duncan's enemies and defeating them and then running into the three old crones who prophesy that he will become king in place of Duncan and together with his wife the Lady Macbeth figure who in this film is actually Lady Macbeth <laughs> um, played by Marion Cotillard he tries to accelerate that process by murdering Duncan and from that chaos unfolds and his power becomes much much greater than his sort of common sense and his political instincts mm. he develops enemies he kills some of them and some of them get away and it all comes back to haunt him and the prophecy will come true as we all know from our GCSE English but the fact that we all kind of know where it's going doesn't detract in any way from what a terrific film this is it feels fresh it feels vibrant that opening battle has a real kind of modern gritty modern aesthetic to it now what kind of a Macbeth kind of is he because I make it a practice obviously to see any Macbeth where a member of the X cast uh, plays the character. And when James McAvoy did it, he was very much a sort of soldier first, brains maybe not so much. It sounds like this is a similar More powerful than Ty Sheridan's Macbeth, I would say. (laughs) There's always that kind of balance between who's pulling the strings. You know, I think this is where Shakespeare allows room for different interpretations. Mm. How much of it is Lady Macbeth pushing and how much of it is Macbeth himself driving? It's interesting because it fluctuates quite a lot in this. Cotillard isn't sort of overwhelmingly manipulative type. She's there in his side, but she's she's emotional as well. And I think she suffers alongside him. He's kind of a impulsive Macbeth, really. He's not a cool okay. head, as you can imagine, for a Fassbender character. He's happier on the battlefield, obviously. He's a bit out of his depth in court, and he doesn't have the ability to, the nuance to sort mm. of manipulate courtly intrigue with as much ferocity as he can wield a sword. Cotillard is more of the kind of you know, behind the scenes, pulling and pushing and trying to make it happen, but very quickly it spirals out of their control. Another fabulous aspect of this film, apart from its look and the power of the source material, is is a support cast that runs really deep. Paddy Considine's in there, and, and mm-hmm. I think Sean Harris is a real standout as the, I guess, the man that eventually will become Macbeth's oh, nemesis. Spoiler, spoiler. Oh, you come spoil now. Macbeth. Can't spoil Shakespeare. I don't think it's really... I mean, we do all know where it's going. We know that Macbeth... There isn't a Macbeth 2, is there, where he sort of conquers other parts of the kingdom. We kind of know the ending, but it doesn't really matter. It's the inevitability that makes this what it is. You almost need to know that it it ends like it does because it adds pathos to everything that happens. And this is so full of pathos. You know, when a man's ambitions run so far ahead of him, there's a sadness almost in him as well. And that's captured very well by Fassbender, who is great as usual. Five stars from Empire. Five stars. Our film of the week, I would say. Even ahead of The Martian. Even ahead of the Martian wait a minute yeah Michael Fassbender Elizabeth Debicki Marion Cotillard Sean Harris David Thewlis Jack Rayner Paddy Considine if the Martian supporting cast and Macbeth supporting cast had a big fight in a car park who would win oh I don't know but I know that the spotlight ensemble cast would be covering it (laughs) they would be it's a really good year for really good casts I have to say I've I've thought this a little bit recently ensemble casts some incredible ensembles out there Anyway. Well done, Ensemble Casts. Speaking of uh, Ensemble Casts, there isn't one in The Intern, (laughs) but let's talk about it anyway, because it's got two big movie stars doing their movie star thing, Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. Yeah, this is very much better than I was expecting, which may be slightly damning it with faint praise, but I went in with low expectations, and it 
pleasantly surprised me. Uh, it is the story of Robert De Niro's Ben, who is a, a 70-year-old man who is bored of being retired. He retired, as he was supposed to, and then has found, you know, that he's actually far too young and too kind of vigorous, I guess, to be content just doing nothing. And he sees an advert for a senior intern programme, which is a kind of community outreach thing that uh, Anne Hathaway's fashion website company have set up and they want old people to come in as their interns and not just young whippersnappers. And he basically goes in and he's like magic fairy dust and he makes everything better. He's basically perfect in every way. That is is good because Anne Hathaway's character is under pressure to bring in a CEO to basically take over running the company from her. She is under pressure at home. Uh, she has a stay-at-home husband and daughter who she's trying to, you know, give enough of her time and, and be a good mother and wife to. She is trying to kind of keep all these balls in the air and can't quite figure out how to do it. And I think Ben comes in with, with a different perspective on things and is something of a, of a friend and a mentor figure in some ways. It's quite a feminist film in that it does focus very much on her work life more than her love life or her home life particularly. And that's really interesting. It is fluffy and meaningless. And, and to the extent that it is a feminist film, it's very much a feminist film for rich white ladies. Um, I will say that. But uh, it's, Well, you, yeah, you could say it's a Nancy Myers film. It's a Nancy Myers film, to, it is. But, uh, but at the same time, you know... Uh, I do think there's a novel idea there and there's something unusual which we we don't always see so I do appreciate that and I think it is quite insightful about older people as well and the fact that with people living longer and living healthier lives for longer they still have a lot to offer and I think there's a tendency to write people off maybe before they should be written off both on their own part as well as the world's so so those were all good it is very fluffy and yeah. and you can see where things are going it's you yeah. know it's not going to there's not there's not a lot of conflict in this film it's it's very no. it's lovely montages and De Niro being warm and and you know, very wise. And, yes. And Hathaway's very likable and... Incredibly well-dressed. Very well-dressed. Well, she does own a fashion startup. <laughs> and she, she would be. I think I probably said this in the podcast before, but I'm not a big fan of Nancy Mayer's films. She has never met a Habitat catalogue she didn't like. And this film has certain holdover elements from that. Oh, um, yeah. The Holiday, for example. Uh, you know, I just, no, burn it. Burn <laughs> it to the ground. This I, is hang fine. Hang on, hang on. Before we burn it, can I just take their houses? Take their houses. Because her, her interior decor is always yeah. amazing. The kitchen in this film actually yeah. made me sigh. Did we not have uh, Rufus Sewell in this very podcast talking yes. about being in the holiday and yes. how Nancy Myers refused to talk to him on set? Probably. That's not strictly relevant. I think he wants to burn it as well. I think he wants to burn the holiday to the ground. I know people who are a staunch advocates of the holiday. I do. Genuinely know people who like that film. You know, something's got to give. It's complicated. These are you know, these are fine, okay, you know, they, yeah. they exist movies. They're okay fluffy movies with yeah. great kitchens. I'm like you. I went along to see this one and I had a better time than I was expecting for a number of reasons. One, it doesn't focus on the home life. I mean, there's a lovely kitchen, great island with like a dining area and stuff, but it doesn't focus on that. It's about the workplace, which again is lovely. Beautifully And decorated. is a much nicer <laughs> office than the Empire office which is a cesspit. It's like the Sarlacc. That's not that bad. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it's fine. They're great together. They and are, it's surprisingly, not, yeah. It's not a romance as well. It's a genuine friendship, a genuine mm. bond between the two of them. So well done. Well done to them. Well done, the intern. Three stars? Yeah. Ooh. Definitely giving it three stars. Okay. Three stars. Yeah, it's kind of the most three-star film in the history of mankind. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Which is a good thing. Yeah, it you is know, a recommendation. It is a recommendation. 
So there we go. And if you're wondering what we thought of Robert Zemeckis' The Walk, we will review it on next week's show because it's out nationwide next week. It's out this weekend in selected IMAX theatres. So if you want to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt go ooh in eye-popping 3D, then go and see it this weekend. But we'll wait until next week for the proper review. Sound good? Mm, yeah. Sounds like Let's a plan. Let's all meet back here next Friday and let's do that. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, this is amazing, Robert Zemeckis. Yay! That's a coincidence. It is a coincidence. And also, Abby Morgan and Sarah Gaffron, the writer and director, respectively, of Suffragette. Votes for women! Hooray! Chat! <laughs> no. Chat! You're singing Wings for no reason whatsoever. Suffragette is used in that song. That's correct. Come on, Phil. Yes. Come on. Come on, you're letting the side down here. Until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Totally. It's goodbye from Phil Cat. Cheerio. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to tell our new intern to go to Mars and fetch me some damn water. If you know it's good for you. Or I'll get the back of my hand. Oh, Chris, see him. no, no, no. I don't think we do that anymore. That's what, no, no, no physical violence no. against the interns. See, I just... It's Robert De Niro. He'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.